HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everyone is really looking forward to this episode of Tech Bytes. We are talking about technology for restaurants, specifically delivery app, internet, virtual world technology that restaurants need to use to be successful businesses in the modern world. We are talking to the authors of a book called Delivering the Digital Restaurant, Your Roadmap to the Future of Food. It is written by, uh, we have both co-authors. We have with us today calling in from West Coast, I believe, Meredith Sandlin. How are you? Great. Happy to be here. And Carl Osborne. Hi, Jennifer. Nice to be here. So this book was written during the pandemic, but conceived before the pandemic. And actually, the pandemic could not have been a better um, writing time, nor a better proving ground for why restaurants really need to be paying attention to this. This is something that we've been covering on this show since 2015. As technology evolves in the world, consumers expect more. Consumers expect to be able to use digital technology. There's new software platforms and tech stacks that are invented to theoretically make restaurant work and running a business easier. But like so many things, people who run restaurants have very limited resources, both both financially, both in terms of staffing, both in terms of time in the day. I think most restaurant people understand that they need to up their tech game to have a successful business in the digital world, but it's really challenging to figure out how to do that. So Tell us what the initial inception was, the inception idea for the book, and, and how did it change over the course of the pandemic while you were writing it? Well, you're exactly right, Jennifer. I think that the original idea for the book started because Carl and I, in our capacity at Kitchen United, were speaking with every major national chain and lots of independents, and even the most forward-leaning among them 
who were interested in ghost kitchens, interested enough to be talking to us, still didn't fully grasp all of the changes they would need to make to their business model in order to be successful in the digital world. So then you were working on the book, the pandemic happens, and was the pandemic just really a a massive test case proof point for the book and the ideas therein? Or were there any pivots that you made in terms of advice or technology or functionality that happened over the course of, you know, the very intense 2020 period, 2021 period of the pandemic where people were sheltering in place, businesses were closed, and essentially the entire world came to a stop? Well, advice for everyone, if there's ever another pandemic, Jennifer, writing a book is a really good pastime because if you get writer's block, you've got nowhere to go. But I would argue that for us, it actually also helped us with the research because we did over a hundred or so interviews with the top executives of some big restaurant groups as well as independents, as well as some of the folks over in uh, the world of um, you know, just restaurant tech companies, folks that are trying to help restaurants grow their presence. And from that standpoint, we um, were able to speak to so many and get so much input. Did we pivot? Um, I think what we saw was what we were advocating through the book just accelerated. I think Bill Gates said we had, uh, I think, 10, 20 years worth of digital acceptance rate kind of increased through just two years. And I think that has really put the onus upon restaurants to take digitization far more seriously. It was an interesting moment in time, and I, I don't think we'll really fully understand all of the you know, changes and evolutions and things that happened um, until many years down the road when we can stop and look back. I, I still think that even today, uh, in October of 2022, we're not even quite sure where we are in the arc of, of the pandemic even. Um, you know, it's still something that's there. It's still something that's impacting our, our lives, our health, our business. But one thing that I will say is that over the course of the last maybe, say, 10 years, restaurants have been starting to really grapple with the digital world, technology, payment, consumers, all of those things. And initially, I think it comes on board as um, separate components of how a business works. Oh, this is the new way of, of, you know, social media or advertising? We need to be digital. Do we need Instagram? Do we need Facebook? You know, digital marketing. How does that impact us? People are taking pictures of the food. What does that mean? And then it comes online separately as this is a new payment processing. This is new, you know, paying with a phone or digital or, you know, those types of things, reservation, prepaid, talk. So then that's sort of in that payment financial transaction silo. And then you have the inner workings of the restaurant. Restaurants have been using computers and and software platforms, you know, for ordering and processing for more than a decade. But is this really the first instance where all those elements kind of actually do come together in a single stream versus things that you can look at independently Instead of saying, well, I don't necessarily need to be on social media or do digital marketing because, you know, I don't have a PR company or that's not the PR that we're doing. You know, we're more interested in this. Can people ignore different pieces of the digital landscape now if they perceive them as being independently siloed or is it just one giant pipeline? 
Well, we talk uh, in the new playbook that we're writing a lot about this problem because from a restaurant's perspective, particularly independent restaurants who don't have a large IT staff, the world is a bit overwhelming right now because what happens at the front end of innovation is the aperture really opens up for lots of different kinds of innovation and what I will call uh, largely point solutions. Here's a solution to this problem. Here's a solution to this problem. Exactly as you're describing, a lot of different things that one could consider as a restaurant to take on. And that's a pretty overwhelming place to be because before you even get to the point of deciding, is this solution better than that solution? You have to decide, do I need a solution in that spot? And that can be very, very tricky. And I think, you know, one thing that the pandemic did do is force a lot of restaurants out of necessity to take on a bunch of those point solutions in an effort to survive. And now that we're at least to a point where consumers are coming back into restaurants and we feel a little bit safer, we have vaccines, I think restaurants are in the spot where they can step back a little and say, oh, the unintended consequence of doing that solution is this. And the problem that this solution created is that. And now that I have this solution, I can see that opportunity. And as that's starting to happen, coupled with um, a pullback in easy money uh, and the interest rate environment, and therefore the impact on venture capital, you start to see um, some more, what I'll say, are end-to-end platforms or holistic technologies emerging either through building out additional modules or through acquiring and consolidating a lot of the tech providers. And that's, I think, going to make it much easier for independent restaurants in particular to find all the pieces they need to be digitally successful. So for somebody who is an independent restaurant owner, maybe they own you know, a bakery or a pizza shop, Roberta's Pizza is famously the home of the Heritage Radio Network studio. What does end-to-end technology mean? Um, You know, there's so much of it where we hear these types of words. We hear about technology, you know, tech stack, end-to-end, SaaS, all those types of things. Um, You're in a space where you work on those types of things every day. But I think for many of you know, the hospitality industry and certainly food makers and people who are, you know, really focused on the very analog business of making the food product and then getting that into the hands of people who, you know, want to eat it and will pay for it and enjoy it. Can you explain to us what end-to-end technology means? And if you're comfortable, maybe, you know, actually identifying, you know, players who are developing those types of things? Because to me, end-to-end technology probably means something very different or maybe not quite as articulated as it means to you and to someone who's you know, running a coffee shop, end-to-end technology might be, I put beans into my grinder, it grinds you know, the perfect amount, I pull the espresso, <laughs> steam the milk <laughs> and there we go and it all runs off an app on my phone. I mean, that could be my impression of end-to-end technology. So what does it mean, end-to-end technology in this space, in the restaurant space, in terms of you know, uh, uh, what a restaurant needs to think about in terms of functioning successfully in the digital world? Well, I suspect for, the, for end-to-end technology, in, in the, the new playbook we're writing, we, we call that this thing called holistic technology. But for us, the, the challenge that exists, Jennifer, as you, you rightly articulate, 
is that there are lots of different solutions out there. And a lot of the current conversation with restaurants is typically around digital ordering. But there is plenty of SaaS and technology solutions that can support restaurants or food establishments of all kinds, like the bakery you mentioned. Um, For example, employee scheduling or understanding better about your cost of product, especially in this fluctuating inflationary environment where cost of product can easily go out of hand. It's in many ways, it's about looking at all the various different data points that exist to run a business and by using a technology platform to better interpret that data to then make more informed decisions and therefore optimize the, either the execution of the business or certainly the profitability of the business. So I think there are, are numerous different ways that you could look at it from the life cycle of your employees that come through or the products that go through your business, as well as the way in which the customer engages with your business. But the term holistic technology, as we phrase it in the playbook, is more around how do you then take each of these solutions that do work for your business to talk to each other in such a way that they can each play a role in influencing the other. And I think when that happens, you get to a place where you can actually make your technology far more efficient. I would argue right now, since we've gone through the pandemic, we've got a, we've had a lot of restaurants that did a bit of a spray and pray approach to technology in the sense of do whatever you can to stay afloat and survive. And now it's a case of saying, what do I really need? What are the biggest challenges that I'm trying to address in my business? And similarly, where are the opportunities that lie that I have the capacity and the capability to best take advantage of? But the, the journey ahead over the next three to five years is then continuing to take stock of the technology choices you've made and then seeing how easily those technologies work and interact with each other. It seems so overwhelming sometimes. I think about um, all of the different data points that you could be harvesting in a restaurant experience um, that starts well before the customer even gets gets to the restaurant. You know, we've we have been talking about, you know, the customer journey or hospitality, you know, certainly people like uh, Danny Meyer in, in his books and his philosophy about hospitality. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, we think about hospitality sometimes so much in terms of analog that it's difficult to know what we can replace in terms of a people direct experience with a piece of technology that will be more efficient, but still provide hopefully some of the same aspects of the service. What, what's a, what is a way for a restaurant owner or a chef to start taking a look at their business to be able to even identify some of these things? I mean, granted, everybody's probably cobbled together um, you know, different pieces of equipment from their ordering system to POS to payment, now delivery, you know, multiple, you know, we've heard from so many uh, restaurateurs over the years about all the multiple tablets that are now in their kitchens or by their registers, you know, one for each of the third party delivery, one for this, one for that. Um, you know, how, 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 how do you recommend people sit down and map out their business to start to identify which of these tech solutions are then going to be the most efficient. And then once you figure out what that is, what that point is, you know, it's, it's also challenging, I think, to figure out what the good company or what the good product is, especially in this space where we have so much innovation. Sometimes the startup who only has 12 customers might be absolutely the best product because they are really the cutting edge and understand and are providing a very like elegant new solution. 
up against maybe some older company that is, you know, coming into being archaic. But it's hard to know because our, our instinct is to go with the, like the bigger known, more stable entity versus, you know, something new and unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, going back to the first part of your question about hospitality, I think, you know, the challenge there is thinking through how can technology augment your stuff, not replace your stuff. And I think uh, the immediate thought that a lot of restaurateurs have when they hear we're going to use technology in the front of house is, you know, we're going to replace your servers with robots or we're going to replace your servers with tablets. And that seems like an anathema to hospitality. And if instead you think of it as giving your staff the tools to have the most uh, and best data available every time they're talking to a customer and to give the most consistent experience possible every time they're talking to a customer, that really helps. Now, buried in that question is maybe the answer to your second question. That approach makes a ton of sense for a high hospitality business where they're heavily dine-in, uh, they see folks um, regularly, the same people, they've got a wait staff, and you know, someplace that's mostly carry out or delivery might need a totally different solution. And that goes back to what Carl was talking about. Step one is what are the pain points in your business? Uh, and what are you really trying to solve for? What's going to have the biggest impact? And that generally is the best place to start. With how quickly technology moves, at what point did you realize writing your first book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant, at what point did you realize you needed to write a second one? Oh, that, that is a great question. So what, what, one of the things writing that, a book does take time. I mean, to your point, you were at home, you were writing it. That's fantastic. I mean, being at home for the pandemic was almost like the ultimate, you know, writer's workshop. But with technology and with these things, I mean, certainly the book is a, it, you know, in reading the book, my sense of it was almost like it was a case study or a white paper or a master's thesis um, it articulated ideas and then had research and anecdotes and, and tracked sort of the growth points of industry and, and laid everything out very succinctly. Uh, but so much of it, when, you know, to explain how we got here, you explain where we have been. And certainly a lot of that is past tense. And then leading up to the pandemic itself is almost like a, you know, explosion of a new starting point. Um when did you start writing the second book in your mind? Right. I mean, the, the, the first book was very much around trying to explain the why and to, tr and to tackle the subject of digitization off-premise seriously and to stay, you know, put it, make, it, make it more of a relevant topic in the minds of the average restaurateur. Also, I think people who just have one restaurant don't have the same... Um, like focus group or understanding or volume to see a pattern across the country or a trend in multiple restaurants. I think oftentimes for the independent person, they're so overwhelmed mostly um, that they think this is just happening to them. So to take a bird's eye view and be able to see, oh, this is actually happening everywhere in my city or in my category mm. or in my country or globally, I think you know, there's some, um, I think, comfort and sanity that that type of thing provides, because then, you know, you're not alone. And this yeah. is, in fact, a trend. 
Yeah, chapter six, we we talk about um, the maturity of markets, Jennifer, if you recall, and we talk about how a lot of this actually is slightly more mature outside of the US environment and perhaps give a foreshadowing of some of the environments that, that is yet to come. But but to come back to your, your your first question about the second book, well, it did start off with the idea of it being a second book. It, it started off with the idea of it being a, a bonus chapter, uh, as in some part of the story that was left untold, um, and I'm on almost an epilogue, an epilogue, almost a different tonality to it, because as you say, there is a, there's quite a bit of data in it. There is certainly a lot of research put into it. We try to make it accessible for the average businessman to, you know, take access, have access to, if you will. But similarly, um, we realize that in all the conferences that we've gone to and the, the speaking events that we've gone to, and there's this vignette at the very start of the, the playbook, um, which is under the same name, by the way, it's just called Your Path to Digital Maturity. Uh, we, we, we put the, the vision that we've seen on many occasions, and that is an independent restaurant owner operator walking in to the start and large, this large conference hall, thinking, right, I'm here, I, I, I'm ready to embrace technology, but where the heck do I start? And I've seen that look, the deer in the headlights look on so many people's faces on so many different occasions. And the conferences don't make it easy because they put all the different technology solutions in all different spots. It's not like you can go into the POS section or the employee scheduling section or you know, the, the, the digital aggregator section. All, all, all of them are spread around in, in different locations. And we started writing. And then we continued writing, and then we thought, oh, this is getting more than just a, a chapter. Maybe we need to think about breaking this up a bit further. And then we came up with the actual outline of the digital maturity path. And really from that, we started to realize, oh, there's more of a story to tell here. And so it's going to be shorter. It's going to be more accessible. It's going to be more actionable. Um, and from that, we hope it will give more direction as to where do you go from here. It sounds naturally made for to actually be one of these events, symposium, conferences that you mentioned. Um, not one that would be overwhelming and uh, difficult to follow for people in the audience like you articulated at the beginning of the book, but something that's um, almost like a workshop. Um, you know, it's it's so rare that we have things about the restaurant industry and certainly most restaurant industry technologies is not necessarily developed by people who work in the industry or who are from the industry. And that for me has always been one of the big disconnects. Um, you know, sometimes people can solve a problem that they're having. Oftentimes those people are sitting in the dining room as consumers. So a lot of the initial technology that we've seen, and certainly a lot of the technology you're talking about in the book in terms of the delivery platforms and all of that, they're really from a, a dining restaurant consumer point of view versus um, someone who works inside the business. Um, and the ones who come from people who work inside the business tend to be quite successful, actually, if they if they have the time and can can make a go of it. Do you foresee um, something like that in the future? It seems like such a natural thing to me, like an actual, like this is the workshop class on how to figure out, you know, employee scheduling or HR, or technology for HR or something like that. I think people, especially in this day and age where everything happens over Zoom and you can physically be in a lot of different places, would be so useful. We have uh, taught workshops at the National Restaurant Association show, um, and virtually we're doing one here in the fall in the UK. 
And I do think they're so useful, not just because you get access to unbiased experts who are comparing different solutions, but because the restaurants themselves get to step out of their business and talk to each other. And, you know, the the reason why I think having been a restaurant operator, the reason why restaurants can be so overwhelming is because they don't stop, right? You're on from breakfast until late night every day. There's always someone in front of you. There's always something that needs to get done. And even if everything is humming and going smoothly, it's very, very difficult to step out of the business. And to have that moment to step back and talk to your peers and ask them, how are you doing this? This is how I'm doing this. Are you having the same problem? Uh, is incredibly valuable. Yeah, so many times people, um, you know, they want to know, like, what what should I do? <laughs> like, me personally, for my business, this information is great, and I understand it, but what, what do I actually do? What do you think I should actually do? Um, and it, it, it's an interesting idea. Um, tell us, tell us where people can find out information about the actual event that you're doing later on in the UK. Uh, so the event, uh, in the UK is uh, going live on October 28th at 10 AM, uh, Greenwich Mean Time. I think it's going to be available for folks around the world to, to listen to afterwards as well. Uh, they can actually get access to that by, um, I put a post up on my my LinkedIn today to to talk about it, but it's Propel Info is the company uh, is the company that actually is uh, putting that out there. And if you're interested, uh, tickets cost two hundred forty five pounds, and uh, you can find out more information by emailing joe.charity at propelinfo.com. And if you're just generally interested in taking a look at the website for the book, it is at learn.delivery and. Um, it has a lot of information there. They're also on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. It's a, it's, it's almost um, the pandemic has also taught us, I think, and especially, I mean, business people have been, you know, people in office jobs, you know, white collar office jobs have been having video conferences and telephone conferences for a long, long time. Um, but the video conference and Zoom calls and and video and digital communication is something that's new for the restaurant industry um, and maybe something that, you know, and is something that has lasted, uh, something that they have continued to do after doors have opened and people have been able to come back on premise. Uh, we did a couple shows last year. I think it was last year. It all runs together. It might have been 2020 or 2021 about how to successfully create a digital event in your restaurant. Um, because once again, restaurateurs were faced with having to pivot very, very quickly and jump into something that they don't know anything about, like digital entertainment, live streaming production. <laughs> yes. I, look, I, there are some folks out there, Jennifer, doing an amazing job with this because, you know, the, the, the sometimes in a off-premise context, we lose some of the joy of what we get when we eat out. And when you think about the service you receive when you're actually eating inside a restaurant, the ambience of the restaurant, the smell that's coming, that isn't there necessarily um, at all in, in most instances when you're actually having an off-premise transaction. And so how do you create that connection between the end guest, maybe a few miles away from your restaurant and the restaurant itself? And the way you do that is you develop a digital dialogue. You, you develop a digital dialogue which starts by having a direct channel 
uh, with, with ordering, so people order direct from the restaurant as opposed to from the third parties. But that allows you to get, yes, lower fees, which gets most of the airtime, but more importantly, customer data. You know, I sit on the board of a restaurant group in Saudi Arabia, and the CMO said to me a few weeks ago, customer data is the new oil. And I think that's such a great way of thinking about it because it gives you the opportunity then to start an ongoing dialogue digitally with your customers. A, to tell them about you and the new exciting things that are going on on your menu or inside your restaurants or with new offers. But similarly, for you to learn more about them, their preferences, the things that they like to engage with your restaurant on, things they're looking for from their restaurants. And the best restaurants out there are starting to catalog this data in such a way to be able to then use that and talk about themselves through the Instagrams, through the TikToks, and be able to celebrate their brand, celebrate the experience, no matter which channel, whether that be on-premise or off-premise, that the guest chooses to engage them with. I think that has, I mean, that's a very, you know, visually succinct way to explain it. And I think restaurants at a certain level have been doing that all along, just in a very different way. Um, or maybe in the same way, but just with different technology. You know, it used to be you would call a restaurant to make a reservation and you would actually speak to a live person. And that live person would write down your information and maybe ask you, are you celebrating a special occasion? Is it someone's birthday? Do you have any allergies? Have you been with us before? So restaurants have always been um, interested in tracking that kind of information and have been actively searching it out there just seems to be a disconnect when it comes to doing it vis-a-vis -a, -vis a piece of technology or an app or a telephone or, or another platform. What do, you, what do you think that disconnect is? Because hospitality has always been tracking this special sold really well. People love chicken fried steak. You know, nobody wants the okra. You know, all this information is something that they've been using, you know, since there have been restaurants. But what do you think the difficulty is of taking that that mindset and just translating it into the technology or the methodology that we have access to today. Mm, I'm connecting it back to what you said previously, Jennifer, about uh, not all technology being designed by restaurateurs. And uh, you know, I just made a reservation yesterday on Talk, which of course was designed by people who operate restaurants. And it asked me exactly those things. Do you have any allergies? Are you celebrating anything special as part of the reservation process within the system? Um, and I presume that data then gets sent back uh, to the restaurant that will be part of my experience when I get there. Um, so maybe part of the answer to your question is when restaurant people design technology, they think of those things because they've been doing them in older offline forms. Uh, the second thing I would say is, yes, it is part of the lifeblood to be looking at the PMEX report, to be looking at the cost of sales report. And uh, those things help restaurants and have always helped restaurants make decisions about which items should we add to the menu, which items should we delete to the menu. Uh, when we look at same-store sales and same-store transactions, how does that correlate with you know, new product releases that we've had and, and things that are going on? But it's all at the aggregate level, um, and that's where restaurants are used to looking. What's happening now is the data is becoming much finer. 
and you're able to look at it at the customer level, you're able to look at it at the channel level. And as you make these uh, increasingly fine cuts, you can say, ah, yes, most people don't like the okra. On average, it doesn't do very well. But to this particular group, the okra is very important. And then you can also know, is that group valuable to me? Well, it turns out the only people who like okra are our super high valuable customers who have high frequency uh, and high basket size. And although they don't buy enough okra to make okra on average really popular, it's an important part of their basket. And so maybe we actually need to keep it, whereas looking at it in aggregate historically would have told us to get rid of it. Um, I think that's the big change that's occurring, and that's a new behavior for most restaurants. So the finer details sort of drilling down, because inventory has always been a data point that restaurants use, right? We sold out Absolutely. of this. We need to order more. Yeah. We have all this left over. Let's make it a special. <laughs> but Absolutely. then now being able to drill down on who the people are, whether they're here, whether they're coming in, and then sort of use refined data to make better and better decisions on the day-to-day. That's exactly right. And that might be at the customer level. Well, wow, we need to go out and advertise to those okra people more often about our new okra special because they're very valuable customers. Uh, But it might also be at the item level. So, you know, to keep on with the okra, maybe the okra isn't that popular on average because everyone tries it because it sounds amazing, but then no one orders it a second time. And you can now see that in the data. Everyone tried it. No one ordered it a second time. And that's what's causing, on average, for it to look like a very low item. Well, if people thought it was interesting enough to try it, maybe you were onto something there. But if they didn't reorder it, either it was executed poorly or the recipe wasn't quite right. And that helps you refine it, right? Mm. Well, we are going to take a quick pause to talk about our advertising. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members? many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. BentoBox's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With BentoBox and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. That's getbento.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones. And I'm your co-host, Dara Bresnitz. 
Part of why we started the show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online, or just something you want to do for fun. Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out. Yes, ma'am. Has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives using food as the medium. It's something that has driven us professionally and personally for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're going to sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry. With 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give, through these conversations, an insider's view into personal stories from the field, as well as an in-depth behind-the-scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape. We'll be covering everything from how to style your food, to how to license IP, to developing your own ideas, and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show. Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, how to, and how do you do the things that you do in culinary media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29. We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera. And we're bringing them all together to share their stories, their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world. So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe and make sure to give us a follow at The Culinary Call Sheet on Instagram. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is in a restaurant. We are talking with the authors of Delivering the Digital Restaurant, Your Roadmap to the Future of Food. It's a really great book that has a lot of information. If you're a restaurant owner or business owner and you want to understand a little bit more about the digital online delivery app tech ecosystem that your business is currently functioning in, uh, this will explain it to you and it will explain how we got here. Um, likewise, if you're just sort of interested in you know, consumer business and habits and how you know, small businesses need to evolve into the modern world, it's also relevant. It's not necessarily exclusively helpful to restaurants. I think any business that's small, that is product and experience focused, that maybe doesn't have an IT department or digital marketing department or a COO, um, it's interesting to understand the context of where we are right now and how things came to be, because it also gives us an idea of what might very likely be here to stay. Certainly, I think with delivery apps, when they first came online a few years ago, many restaurants kind of hoped maybe they would go away. And some of these services did, and some of the apps did, and replaced by something else and something new, and this thing starts up. But so much of the behavior and shopping and consuming and business and life patterns that we have experienced through technology were particularly solidified during the pandemic when the world came to a stop and everybody stayed at home. So while everyone was at home, some people were writing books. (laughs) (laughs) Carl and Meredith were writing a book 
um, which is great. And now are, are you both going to take some time off then to write the next book? Are you writing it now? I mean, not that uh, we don't love talking about the current book that you have, um, and it's available everywhere and on Amazon and as audio and as an ebook. Um, we love the future here on Tech Bytes, and we love that, that the future is now, and we get to talk to so many people about you know predictions and what's happening. And certainly, when you're on the edge of tech, you're always looking forward. So, yes, are you going to be able to take a, a writing vacation holiday to? No, no, to Meredith would never put the second one down. We actually did a, a bunch of consulting work through the, the pandemic as well. So for us, it was a case of trying to fit the writing in alongside other activities. I mean, unfortunately, writing a book does not make much money. I'll put that out there for any aspiring authors. But what it does do is it widens your access to an amazing range of different people. And it certainly gives you the opportunity of speaking to lovely people like yourself on, on podcasts. And, and that is great because it does give you access to hearing and thinking about the ways in which people are looking towards the future. Now, in Delivering the Digital Restaurant, we asked each of those folks that we interviewed, what is the world going to look, look, look like in 2030? And, you know, there were some themes that emerged. And I think as we now look at our own personal journeys, we're trying to live a bit of that kind of future, if you will, and, and be at the kind of next innings of, of change and innovation for, for restaurants. Um, I'll let Meredith talk to her, her area in a moment, but for what I'm doing, I, I'm a, a co-founder and COO of a company called Juicer Pricing, um, which is helping restaurants consider dynamic pricing. And in that sense, just think about the analog of travel and hospitality and the worlds of Expedia and Kayak when, when those came along and how they disrupted hotels and airlines. And guess what happened further down the line? Well, of course, the hotels and airlines started to improve their own direct ordering channels. But then they also started to engage with better pricing optimization and better revenue management optimization. And restaurants have got every single opportunity to do exactly the same, especially as we get to more of an increasingly digital ordering pattern, regardless of whether a customer is ordering delivery, takeout, or maybe even on-premise. So for us, we're trying to help restaurants look at the way in which pricing can be optimized, which means at certain times of day when perhaps the kitchen is particularly busy, items being a dollar or two more, and for those times when it's a little quieter, maybe a little less. And, and that ultimately helping the restaurant get a little bit more margin from this particular channel. That is really important because right now, again, the third parties, the marketplaces like the DoorDash and the Uber Eats, they are the ones that are dynamically pricing in terms of their delivery fees. If there aren't many drivers around, the cost of delivery is going to go up. If you want your order delivered within 20 minutes, as opposed to the advertised 30 to 35 minutes, you can pay an extra fee, and that will be delivered in 20 minutes. So the marketplace is already doing it, but the restaurants are getting the slice of that pie, and that's what Juicer Pricing is trying to help with. A question for you on that point, and, and to both of you, you know, certainly consumers are used to paying fluctuating prices for airline tickets, uh, theater tickets, Certainly the car services, you know, Uber, Lyft, even taxi services, you know, surge pricing, prime time, all of that. Consumers are maybe not necessarily happy with it, but they understand it and they put up with it and they'll pay it. Um, or they won't take a cab or they won't take the plane and, and they understand why that is. 
Consumers seem to have a really hard time with restaurant prices, though. The, the two areas that consumers really seem to have the hardest time accepting increased price points seem to be digital content, like content online, and food in restaurants. So for digital content, you know, people maybe will pay for a subscription for a music channel to listen to what they want to. People complain that, you know, an article is behind a paywall and why do I have to pay for it? There's so much free content online that people have become almost used to that. And likewise for restaurants, you know, there's such a huge movement about being thoughtful about where our food comes from and wanting everything to be, you know, correct and just so and people paid correctly and things raised properly. But people still only want to pay, you know, $10 for a hamburger. And if in New York City they see it's $25 on the menu, they'll be outraged. It's, it's, an, inter- it's, it's an interesting point, Jeff. I mean, we, we were actually on a podcast earlier this week with uh, Medallia, which is a, a data research agency, and, and they surveyed, I think it was over 2,000 guests across the, the demographic spectrum, if you will. And, you know, surprisingly, even as a, you know, a person that's trying to bring this to the industry, 73% of the respondents actually responded positively to the idea of dynamic pricing, as in prices being right. higher at certain times of day and cheaper at others. And I think I would, if you take it even a, a level higher than that, if you look at what's happened even this year in the inflationary environment, where we've seen the, the the costs of eating out as well as having food delivered really go up at quite an you know, extortionate level, we've still seen the frequency use of these platforms be quite well utilized. And so I think you're right. I think customers aren't liking it necessarily, but that's not necessarily going to change their behavior to stop using it because it's adding that extra level of convenience that they're willing to pay for. Do you think that there needs to be a compendium um, campaign on informing the dining public and the consumer public? Hmm. You know, as I think about it, uh, Americans spend the least amount of their disposable income on food of pretty much any country in the world. Mm -hmm. Correct. And so there's an expectation baked into all of our budgets about how much we should be spending on food. And I think that's what causes the dynamic about well, I, I want things to be organic and healthy and locally sourced, and those all sound great, but my run rate and my budget is X. And if you tell me all those things that I want cost 2X, I have a bit of a disconnect because I simply can't afford it because I've allocated the rest of my budget elsewhere. And so part of it, surely, is education about you know what the things you get when you do pay more are. Uh, but part of it also is it just takes time for consumers to reallocate their budget. And of course, what happened during the pandemic is it consumers reallocated their budget toward what I will call peak ease. Convenience became the most important thing. And as Carl just alluded to, consumers are willing to pay for that. They're willing to pay to have things brought to them. They're willing to pay more to get it brought more quickly. And I think, I hope as we come out of this era, that other elements of the value equation will become more important, whether that's how much food people are getting or the quality of food that people are getting or the branding behind that food, that convenience will start to become almost table stakes and expected. And instead of paying so much for convenience at the expense of high quality food, you'll start to see folks migrate elsewhere. Now, that is my hope, but we'll see what happens. 
but you know, the other thing I'd say, Meredith, um, I'm not, this is a bit of a segue into, into what you're doing right now, is that there's a responsibility on, on restaurants as well to enhance the experience for customers, especially for off-premise transactions. And we often talk about the, the three aspects of speed, quality, and, and accuracy. And when you look at, again, customer survey data uh, over the last few years, it's never been lower in satisfaction for a delivery experience. And so I think, again, this comes back to how technology, especially technology that can talk to each other, can really support. So Meredith, maybe that's a nice segue into what, what you're doing with Empower. Yeah, thank you, Carl. So like Carl, I am the CEO of a startup technology company. It's a software company called Empower Delivery, which is a spin out of Cluster Truck, which is the largest and most profitable uh, ghost kitchen in America. And how are they able to do that? They're able to do that because they are providing something that consumers want, which is that convenience, but they're providing it in a way that is better than this incremental third-party system. So if you look at their reviews online across their five locations, they are all five-star reviews. And I would describe the comments, if you read through them, as people reacting to a magical experience. How does it get here so fast? How is it still hot? How is it completely accurate? How is it so inexpensive? How is it that I'm getting all of these things? And by the way, it is a scratch-made product made for you as that item is ordered. And I think consumers are just surprised and amazed that all of that can exist in one place. And the reason is because of the software, because of what Empower Delivery does. And by coordinating all of the resources, uh, the resources being the consumer who's placing the order, the driver who's delivering it, the cook who's cooking it, and uh, the stations that it's being cooked on, as well as the inventory coming in, the software eliminates latency in the system. Uh, eliminates waiting and therefore increases utilization of all the various uh, resources in the system. And as that happens, the restaurant is able to provide to consumers a better experience at a lower price. Uh, so I am hopeful that one of the ways that we get to this uh, idea of convenience being table stakes and instead differentiating on brand, quality, quantity, other things besides just convenience is by utilizing the technology to better utilize every other resource in the system. Cluster Truck is a really interesting uh, company. We actually did an episode with them last year in September of 2021. It was the fourth episode in a four-part series on delivery um, because they are completely you know, vertically integrated. And what that means, you know, just as you're articulating now in terms of being able to control and then maximize every piece of the every piece of the process and the, and the customer experience. Um, that was episode 246. And the other delivery episodes are 244, 243 and 242. Um, it's interesting. I mean, when we talk about technology and the future of restaurants and certainly, you know, the name of. The title of your book is Delivery, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's Delivery. So, I, I, I mean, I think that that's very telling. And um, I'll be curious to hear what the next, what the next 
episode, not episode, but what your next installment on your next book is. But while people are waiting for that to come out, you all are quite busy podcasting also. You do a weekly podcast. Yes, uh, we do. It's it's called the, the Monday Minute. And again, one of the things that I think we have found just through writing the book is that we just get access to lots of amazing sources of information about what is happening in the worlds of restaurants, off-premise and technology. So for any of your listeners that are interested in that particular theme, it's a very simple format. It's about 10 to 12 minutes uh, every couple of weeks where we pick out five headlines and just provide a brief synopsis of the headline, our views on it, and that's it. No pitching, no selling. It's just a, a service to the industry because there is so much going on. We're trying to help the, the restaurant owner operators out there keep sense of it all, if you will. So it sounds like an audio newsletter. Yeah, that's right. Although we have a newsletter as well that we send out through oh. LinkedIn. So if anyone has a, a LinkedIn <laughs> kind of membership, then uh, feel free to connect to us and we can send that too. So if you prefer just to read these type of things, that's available as well. Well, you will have to come back and talk to us when the next book comes out because, you know, digital the digital life of restaurants is something that we at Tech Bytes are certainly very interested in. Um, I want to thank Carl Osborne and Meredith Sandlin, the authors of Delivering the Digital Restaurant, for coming on the show. Um, if you're interested in learning more about that, the website is thedigitalrestaurant.com, and you can find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, either at Learn Delivery or learn.delivery. If you like this show, come back and see us again next week. Tech Bytes is weekly on Heritage Radio Network since 2015. If you really love it, subscribe to it where you get your podcasts, whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. Leave us an amazing five-star review. It will help more people discover the podcast and maybe find something helpful like discovering the digital restaurant and how to solve some technology problems. If you think it's really important to have these conversations and to archive them and save them for over a decade, we have hundreds of tens of thousands of episodes at heritageradionetwork.org. If you think these conversations are important and it's important to put a spotlight on things and share the mic, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart and make a donation. Maybe give us what you spent on coffee today or whatever your delivery was for your lunch or dinner and it will help us keep the lights on, the mics hot and make more radio. I'm Jennifer Leutze and this is Tech Bytes. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.